Boys Lines. As Boys Lines. As bold as lions. As bold as lions. As bold as lions. You're listening to the As Bold as Lions podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the As Bold as Lions podcast. My name is Derek. So good to have you join me today. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on introductory kind of extemporaneous, I don't know the word I'm trying to use, uh, stuff, banter, whatever. Um, but try to get right into the heart of our uh, our discussion and, and kind of where we're going for today, just to make sure that we, we have time. And um, uh, if you know this ministry, you're perhaps familiar with this term, as bold as lions, uh, and where that comes from. wasn't kind of a cool saying that I just came up with, um, no, I, I don't know if I could come up with th- something that, that cool. It's from the Bible. It's from a, a verse in Proverbs 28, uh, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So the righteous being those in Christ, those in faith, uh, hopefully you on the other end listening to this, believer in Christ, um, myself, we're, we're bold in our faith. Uh, we're bold as lions. The wicked flee when no one pursues. So that's kind of the difference between the wicked and the righteous. Um, the righteous going for it, uh, having that, that kind of lion type of attitude. And really, everything that I do with the podcast, with the blogs that I do, devotions, there's this um, this want and this desire for it to help us uh, strengthen our faith, embolden our faith, um, to go deeper with the Lord and to trust Him beyond what we, we can see, hear, touch. Um, I share lots of things that I, that I study and kind of do my own research and, and, and then present. But a lot of that is also for me to just kind of like feed on and just say, okay, God, you're showing me something here before I can even, uh, lead it before somebody else. So, um, that is a big part of this ministry. And so when I'm looking for things to talk about, um, I'm always going to try to tie it in, to that that emboldening of our faith, that that growth, that depth, that kind of you know, not relying on what was good enough yesterday or what we experienced yesterday, or uh, not looking forward to like what next month or next year. But what do I need today? Give us uh, today our daily bread. That kind of a thing, Lord. I need a new, fresh uh, word from you for today, um, for for what you have. So I, I'm hoping that what is presented here is is that for you is a fresh word that um that encourages you and uh for quite a while now i've I've been kind of keeping this on the back burner but i've i've wanted to had in my mind of uh, a book that um i've read and it's had a, a pretty profound impact on my life um 
And in regards to this kind of that idea of, of living as bold as lines, it's, it's, it's seeped in and, and affected me in thinking that way. Um, and that is a book called The Hiding Place. And it's by a, a lady uh, named Corey Ten Boom. And um, I probably have read it uh, a good three to four times over the years, maybe in the last 10 to 15 years, I'll, I'll just pick it up and won't always read it, you know, within a few weeks, it, it can take longer, kind of pick it up, read it for a little bit, put it down, maybe, you know, a few weeks later, read some more. Um, it is one of those books that you can just power through and, uh, and, and, you know, very, um, just kind of, there's, there's always some, some things going on and, and it, it, uh, it moves you forward pretty quickly through the book. Um, just as an aside, I'm not a, I'm not a huge reader. So I have this struggle when it comes to seeing a book in a store or, or getting a book from somebody and being like, yeah, I'm, I'm really want to want to go through this. This looks good, you know, and having these good intentions of like, I'll get to that someday, but someday never comes and that book's still on the shelf or it's next to my nightstand by my bed and it's just kind of collecting dust and it's, I walk past it every day. I'm like, I really should pick up that book. I should start that book. Um, and, and I don't, and I, I, um, I kind of, <laughs> I, I don't like that about myself, but it's something that I know, um, uh, is a reality, at least in this stage of life. Maybe someday there'll be more time for reading books and, and doing that. Um, one book that I obviously, I think you would probably, uh, agree with the, the book that I feel like I have to get into every day is the word is the Bible. So that's, that's always going to be on my agenda of like, I've got to read the word and, uh, and find out what the Lord wants to say to me through that. But, um, back to the hiding place. Um, I think the reason why I can keep going back to it. And there, there's certain books that I'll always kind of keep in my library because like, I like that, uh, the experience of reading that was good. I got something from it and someday I want to read it again. So it's not something I'm just going to give away or, uh, sell or whatever. I, I'm, I want to keep it. Um, and with this book, the story just always captivates me and it, it, it instructs me in a way that, I, I, I find solace, I find hope, even within uncertainty, even within the, the kind of uncertain days that, that we're living in today, or uh, as we close out each um, podcast, the, the, the days are evil. We know that. We're, we're living in, in evil times. But something in this book kind of landmarks me a little bit to say, okay, there's been evil times before, there's been bad governments, there's been bad experiences, whatever, before, and Christians have figured out a way to to navigate this and get through it. And so um, this, uh, and one other thing is this main character, this this lady who wrote this book, um, she's she's passed now, it's, she passed, I think, in, uh, in the 80s, maybe 1983, somewhere around there. Um, but her name is Corey, and my wife's name is Corey, same spelling, um, not, not like a connection. I don't think beyond that. I was, I was asking my wife about it and she's like, uh, you know, just same, same spelling in, in, in name, but that's kind of where it ends. But I, I've always found like, that's cool. Like her name's Corey and I don't meet a, uh, a lot of people named Corey besides my wife who have that, that same spelling. And so it kind of holds a, a, a little dear spot in my heart just because of that. 
uh, reading about another quarry. And uh, so as I've wanted to dive into this book, I've, I've, as I've kind of thought over it for the past few weeks and months, like someday I want to podcast something on this and just see how I could kind of unpack the hiding place a little bit. Um, yeah, I've, I've wrestled with how to, how to do that. I don't want to make the, just kind of this book review kind of a thing like, Hey, go check out this book. It's a, it's an amazing book. Like, I don't want to really like go so much down that path, even though I know I need to tell parts of the story and kind of use that. Um, but I want to be able to apply truths of faith, um, with a real life story as a backdrop. Like we read things from the Bible and there's faith building stories and we can get into the, the weeds of a Moses or an Abraham or Joseph or, um, you know, into the New Testament of, of Paul or whatever. And we can see these amazing faith stories and be like, okay, you know, that's, that's, a, that's great. And that's truth and that's scripture. And I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to ponder that. I'm going to figure out how to apply it to my life. Um, and sometimes there's other stories that have come um, over the years of, of faith, you know, Christian uh, characters, and they're, they're ones that we can kind of um, use as well. Not saying, not putting it on par with scripture. I'm not, you know, hear me out. I'm not doing that. But I'm just saying we can, we can take these stories as well and be like, as that person followed Christ, I want to emulate that and and also follow Christ. Um, you know, Corey Ten Boom, this story of the hiding place. For me, it's it's kind of like this is modern enough. It's in within the last hundred years that it still feels very relevant. And even as I see society kind kind of going down similar pathways of, uh, you know. We, we know that history repeats itself, like nothing new under the sun, all those kind of ideas. So what I see in the hiding place, I can be like, that's fairly recent enough to, um, to bring it into my present day experience and be like, okay, this is how some people dealt with something that was very dark and a very hard time of history. And this is how they still navigated with their faith through that. And so, um, I'll preface this to say it's uh, a book that, um, as we go through it, I'm, I'm going to have to do some spoiler alert type of things where it's like I'm going to tell things that happen that if you haven't read the book and you're wanting to, if it's on your shelf and you're like, someday I want to read that book and you're, you don't want to know all the details, like maybe you want to wait to listen to everything here and, and come back to it. Um, if that doesn't bother you, then just keep listening. That's fine. But there will be some things that just, uh, inevitably come out through this, this podcast and, uh, through the one next time, because it's kind of, um, is a two part thing, but, uh, just to, uh, to keep that in mind and, and there's the book itself. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of information online, I'm going to try to put in some links to the, the show notes or where you go kind of look at the description. There'll be some links of just other things you can check out. You might have to like copy and paste or um, depending on the, the service that you're on, it, sometimes it'll you'll link out and it'll take you to that or click through it. Um, other times you it's just there and you have to kind of um, find it. But um, there's, there's tons of stuff. Uh, even as I'm researching this and putting this podcast together, there's tons of stuff about the hiding place. 
they've done a couple of films. One was closer to when the, the book released. Um, I think that was 1971 when The Hiding Place was published. Then sometime later in the 70s when they, they released a movie, um, which the movie is is very much more condensed to the story. It can't kind of cover everything, but um, they did that. And then last year there was actually another movie that was released. I'm trying to find it. Um, I think you can like rent it or stream it on uh, online on various sites. Um, I think it's called the hiding place as well. Uh, they did sort of a, a theatrical kind of a, a play of it almost. And it looks like something that they, they took that and made it into a movie, um, sort of a live, you know, live capture thing where they, they made it into a movie. Um, try to, I'll try to find some links for all of those if you're interested. And one other thing that's cool is that, so this takes place in the Netherlands or Holland, um, kind of interchangeable on, on those names there. And the home in which Corey and her family lived is actually a museum today. Um, you can visit it in person or online. And um, the online thing is kind of cool because you still get a pretty good idea of where it is in the city. Certainly a lot has changed probably around um, that neighborhood and where, where it was at, but it, you can go into the home and you can go to all these rooms that are kind of mentioned throughout the book. Um, it's on my bucket list. Someday I would love to go and, and physically walk through and see, uh, this, this place, see the home where the, the hiding place takes, takes place. Uh, a lot of other things like in Europe, especially kind of connected to World War II, I'd love to, I'd love to go to various sites. Um, again, maybe one of those things way down the road someday, or, uh, you know, maybe we get a, we book a tour over somewhere and we, we play some shows and we just get, uh, get an opportunity to go through some of these places. I don't know. It's up to the Lord. We'll leave it in his hands. But, um, the, the actual book, The Hiding Place, if you look at the, um, uh, the image, which is kind of cover image art for the, the podcast here. Um, there's a book that I took a picture of, and that's kind of an older edition. The one I have is called the 35th Anniversary Edition, and that has some cool pictures and appendices with some timelines, some family trees, um, just stuff like that. But the, the book I found, um, I found it at a thrift store and just had to have another copy of it, and that was the one that just kind of made it onto that that cover image that you see, um, and that's a little bit more older edition of it. So you're listening to this and maybe you're just like, what is the hiding place? You got, you got to give me some, some background. I'm not going to go read the book right now. I'm not, I can't watch the movie. You know, I'm gotta, I just need to, whatever it is you tell me. So good question. Um, so this is the, it's part of the home of Corey Ten Boom and her sister, Betsy, and her father, Casper, in which they they hid Jews. This was in World War II, around uh, 1940s, um, in a town called Harlem, Holland. Um, I think it's the same pronunciation as Harlem. It has like H-A-R-L-E-E-M. Um, I think that's probably where we get our Harlem in, in uh, New York. But anyway, they, uh, they hid Jews in their home. And um, 
they it was a secret place of hiding in which many lives were saved over the years. They estimate that some 800 Jews were saved through this specific location in Holland. Um, on February 28th, 1944, the home was raided and it was shut down by the Nazis. It was a Gestapo raid, which they came through. And um, the the book itself entails much of the story in the years leading up to World War II, kind of just setting up the context of the lives that the the Ten Booms had. Um, and really, like in the first four chapters, they're just kind of setting up the home, the family. They have a watchmaking business that's the kind of a storefront of the of the home, which is um, this this watchmaking watch repair business. And um, and then kind of into Corey's role as she takes a more prominent role in that family business as her mom is laid up. Um, she eventually passes. They talk about that. And Corey is helping her father then run run the business. So as the war progresses, um, they use their home as a place to hide those that are seeking refuge, um, those that are coming under persecution or uh you know rounding up jews they know that their their families are they're they're in jeopardy they're in danger there's kind of this wider dutch resistance that's going on and they're they're sort of um caught up in this and and become part of helping um this resistance movement harboring jews in their home um securing stolen ration cards which were needed for food for those who needed it every family every person just got so many of these ration cards but they would try to to get more of them and and be able to pass them out so that people could get food and and could keep um you know just keep alive just sustain them and uh and help them survive so once the raid from the Nazis occurred, we then read what the firsthand accounts are like through the months and, and uh, um, really the, the, the months. It wasn't longer than a year of, of that uh, for them of being uh, in prison. Uh, Corey and her sister, Betsy, they eventually go to um, a well-known, pretty infamous concentration camp. It was primarily for women. It's called Ravensbrück. And this was in Germany. Uh, one estimate says possibly up to 90,000 people died there. Um, as I mentioned, it's a couple podcast episodes that we're going to do because there's just a lot to pull out of the story. And uh, I knew I could either do one really long one uh, or we could do two. Most of you are familiar with a 30 to 40 minute sort of time frame. And that's what I'm shooting for. Hopefully that's where this first one lands. Um, but just didn't want to go a lot longer than that. There's there's just a lot that, that a person can cover talking about this book. And um, there's so much that I think is important and still relevant to us in this story. Like I said, for modern day Christians, this this really isn't that far. This isn't really that far off. It's not even been a hundred years since um, these actual events of like World War II happened. And yeah, there's there's the tale of of bravery, the the kind of the will to survive against all odds. Um, there's this call to help and lift up the marginalized, the persecuted, to 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 bring rescue to them. But beyond all that, and kind of the the overarching thing that 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 drives all of this is a deep seated faith and a gospel focus 
And that's kind of the compass which guides Corey and her family throughout this story, that they already had this this really tight-knit, Christ-centered home. And really, I think that's why, you know, they were set up to, to get this task, which was not an easy task, but it motivates them to do what they do. And a lot of times I think of, would I have done the same thing? Could I do the same thing if I were in their shoes? Um, and a little further, the character of Betsy, who was Corey's sister, she's probably the person in the book who most closely influences Corey and helps her keep her focus on Christ and, and her own calling throughout this journey. Like Corey has her questions, her doubts, certainly. Um, and Betsy probably did as well, but Betsy is always kind of this voice of reason, this voice of calm, this assurance, really Christ speaking through her um, throughout, especially their time in captivity and just some dark, dark days and her just kind of shining the light of Christ and, and Corey just kind of realizing, oh yes, you know, even in this place we can, we can serve him and glorify him. So I'm going to dive in today um, with some main points, as I always do. It kind of takes us chronologically. So we're, we're going to kind of get about halfway, maybe not halfway, but a certain point within where we would stop and say, you know, tune in next time and we'll finish this up. Um, again, we'll have some spoilers. So just, just keep that in mind if you haven't uh, checked this book out. Um, but let's look at some things for what I would take away um, as some themes or just some main, main points that come from the hiding place and certainly things that we can apply then as, as believers as we look at a story like this. Um, this part one of two in a look at the hiding place. Um, first thing I have is that early on, early on in the story, you see this if you read it, Corey surrenders to God's will. Um, something that I just, I, I was impressed with, especially this most recent kind of rereading of The Hiding Place. And it was that Corey kind of had her, her you know, path in life that she was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this and, you know, go to school get married, you know, all the things that you kind of just expect that you're going to go through and all the stages of life that, that you feel like that's, that's just where, where I'm going to be. Um, but at some point she fell in love with uh, a man and she thought, you know, this is a potential husband and, and they had some, uh, some closeness and I wouldn't say maybe necessarily courting, but kind of on the brink of something like that, where they felt like, you know, this was a, a potential suitor, I guess to use uh, older terms like that. But really, and this guy, I think also from sort of a Christian background as well, had had a faith background for sure. But he was from a more affluent family there in, in the Netherlands. And, um, and Corey wasn't from that upbringing. Um, her status was a, a lower status, and it was just not a good fit as far as um, his family, especially just looking at who he should marry and who uh, would be the, the right person for him. Um, and so at some point, um, there's this realization for, for Corey that this isn't going to work out. Actually, he, um, uh, they, they 
are separated for a period of time. And then he comes by and he has this girl with him and he wants to introduce her to Corey and, and let her know like this is his fiance. And so that just left a wound for Corey, but it was something that she had to release back to the Lord and his plans and the, his will, um, came across this quote, was listening to, um, uh, just, a, a um, a speech or something that she was giving. And she said, Lord Jesus, in response to this, she said, Lord Jesus, I belong to you, lock, stock, and barrel. I surrender to you this part of, of my being that is wounded. I've had a happy life, and Jesus has taken care so for me, has taken care of me, that I've never been a frustrated old spinster. But I had to surrender my if only. And uh, she's saying that in an older part of her life. I've never been a frustrated old spinster because I didn't get to marry and didn't get to have the family and the kids and all these things. She, She said, I surrendered my if only. And that just like really hit me going back and reading some of, um, of these old, uh, things that she said, things that are in the hiding place and that are, um, just other materials as you research her life. And I think of it in this way in never marrying and in staying single, Corey was being prepared for a greater purpose. Her mother had passed away in 1921. She then takes on these roles in the shop of being a helper, kind of a right-hand person to her father in that in that shop. She goes through watchmaker training. She, uh, you know, training to repair things. And it's, it's become apparent that she has some skills necessary to help run this build this business. Um, helps to get the store uh, to be more profitable. And so in Corey, I'm just seeing somebody that was willing to surrender, was willing to say, okay, I thought I was going down this path, but God, you have something different for me. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to resist that. It may not be the thing that I had planned on. It may be a little hard sometimes to, um, to go through that surrender process, but she was willing to do that. And then I just think of our, how that applies to us. You know, there's a reassurance that God will take care of us no matter how, how dire things may look, may, you know, physical things, financial things, and so on, that God will take care of us. And there's a famous quote that is attributed to Corey. It says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I think of how she experienced that firsthand. Psalm 125, verse 5 through 8. Uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 121, verses 5 through 8. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So first off, I just need to need to lay that uh, groundwork that Corey is her heart is surrendered to God's will, and that's a good place to be because there's a lot more surrendering and just kind of going out on the limb, so to speak, in her faith that is to come. And so, because she was willing, to, I think, to make some of those decisions early on and just say, "God, I surrender my if only to you," um, that He was then willing to take her to some. Uh, to some pretty crazy places and some through some crazy things. 
Second thing I have is that there are no ifs in God's will. There are no ifs in God's will. So in the timeline of this story, Germany, uh, the Nazis, they invade the Netherlands uh, on May 10th, 1940. You think about 1940, end of the war is 1945. So there's there's quite a span in there. And this is, you know, at the height of their power, certainly, or, or maybe maybe they're still coming into the height of their power because they are going through Europe and just taking over and taking country after country, invading and, and moving in. Um, and I think of the uncertainty that must have swept through that continent and even the world at that time. Like I, 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 it's hard to wrap my mind around it. Sometimes I think about current day things and what, what that would look like and what countries are kind of the power players today and what, you know, where America shakes out and all that. Um, and maybe people back then had this thought, just like I'd say, we do sometimes today of just like, things will be okay. You know, hopefully it's not going to come here. Hopefully that's, it's all going to kind of stay over there or whatever. And certainly the 10 boom family, Corey's family, they, they had to have seen what was going on in Germany. That's very close to, to where they're located. And they realized that there is a madman running the country and he was bent upon taking over the world and ridding it of those uh, deemed unworthy, those who are inferior, uh, the inferior race of the Jews, so to speak, as they would, they would just cleanse ethnically all these things. And they had to be aware that like this, this was right on our doorstep. So in this saying there's no ifs in God's call kind of connects to this story uh, within the book. One night as the, the German army is advancing, they're having, uh, it's, it's gone into the Netherlands. They've, they've come in and then there's some bombings and there's things happening. One night Corey goes down to uh, the kitchen and um, her sister Betsy is there. I don't know. maybe like two or three in the morning, something like that. And, um, Betsy's having some tea. So they have some tea together. They, they can't sleep. There's, there's all this madness going on, you know, with, uh, with bombings and things in the, in the background and the distance. Um, and they're just, they're kind of just down there just trying to, I suppose, calm nerves, uh, hopefully be able to get back to bed and all that. As the sounds of the, these explosions and these bombings start to fade and they go back to bed, Corey returns to her room and and this is just a crazy story. She's in her room there in, you know, in Harlem in the Netherlands. And um, I think it's an upstairs type of thing with a window. She's going over to find her way along the wall to the bed. And she cuts her hand. And she realizes that there had been a piece of shrapnel. I think in the book says something like a 10 inch piece or something that, that had come through the window. So in the process of all these bombings, explosions, whatever, this thing comes in and she's just like, wow, she had to go find her, her sister and, and, and tell people in the house. Like I, if I would have stayed in my room, if I hadn't gotten up, come down here, I, I could have been killed. And she says, Betsy, if I hadn't heard you in the kitchen, and Betsy says, there are no ifs in God's world. And there are no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. And Corey says, oh, or Betsy says, oh, Corey, let us pray that we may always know it. Corey comes down and says, if I, if I hadn't heard you in the kitchen, I, I might be dead right now. And Betsy's like, that, 
there's no ifs. That wasn't an accident that you're, you're down here. You're in the center of God's will. That's the only place that is safe. So the book reminds me in stories like that, you know, there's, there's so many more that you could attribute um, under that kind of that heading and that theme of no ifs in God's will. There's no accidents. There's no things that just kind of like, oh, that, that worked out, you know, kind of nice. Like, no, God's orchestrating the details. He's in the details and he is, um, he's just authoring an amazing story with our lives. The third and final point that I have for day for today as um as we wrap up this first part of uh this look at the hiding place um point I have is the Ten Boom family was willing to put their lives at risk. They um they they ha- helped hide these Jews and uh you know I I think we kind of we don't even have like a, a real good context to like think about what this was like for them and for anybody at this time like we we know this is happening we know these people are are being uh rounded up and and shipped off we we kind of eventually you know people know what's happening to to this uh jewish people and so they they have this risk in doing this and uh, again that's where i've just like i how to connect to that is it's it was a certain level of risk that they were willing to take but but wow you know to to do it was like putting your life on the line and Corey's father um he expresses a fondness for the jewish people you know he's a christian they're a christian family but um at one point they see they're in a, a certain part of town i think they're near like the grocery market or something like that they're witnessing a roundup of Jews. They have the yellow stars on their, their coats, their jackets, their shirts, whatever. And the German soldiers, the, the Dutch police, they're, they're rounding them up. They're getting them together to, to carry them off. Corey says to her father, she goes, Father, those poor people. And he responds, those poor people. But it goes on to say, she says, but to my surprise, I saw that he was looking at the soldiers now forming into ranks to march away. He's, he's looking at the soldiers and he's saying, those poor people. And he says, I pity the poor Germans, Corey. They have touched the apple of God's eye. He says, I pity the poor Germans. They're the ones that were, were really um, the ones that are, because they have touched God's own, his anointed, like, I pity them. And of course, there's a there's a biblical precedent for this. We look at uh, Genesis 12, verse 3. It's the God speaking to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in some ways, they're willing to put their lives at risk because they realize, hey, the, the people of God are still going to be the blessed ones. Woe to those that would curse them. Woe to those that would come against God's own and touch the apple of his eye. So the risk that they were willing to take was, was extraordinary. And it was a risk that others would, wouldn't display even Christians. There's another story where a pastor comes to the home. Um, they called it the, the Bay, which uh, is spelled B E J E. Um, I think that's a nickname for their home. It was kind of an abbreviation of something to do with the street or where the location was, but the Bay, if uh, you read that in the book or you hear that that's their house. 
Um, but this pastor comes to their their home, and they've got a child there that I think they're just trying to get it to some location that's a little bit more remote and outside of Harlem. They know this pastor lives more on the outskirts or not right in the middle of the city as they do. But this pastor refuses to take the child home with him to hide it, to hide this Jewish child. He says, we could lose our lives for that Jewish child. So often those who who should have helped, who could have helped, who should have been willing to take the risk, they did not. And the hiding place itself, this um, room within their home, this this was an undertaking and a, and a risk as well. They had to put up a false wall. This was built into Corey's bedroom, uh, a brick wall, and then it could hold up to like six people in there and had it all, its own ventilation system. Again, you can go online and kind of see pictures of this. They have it cut out so you can see how there's there's uh, a wall with uh, kind of a, a space behind it. And it was this temporary holding place until they could find more permanent places for people to go. It wasn't necessarily safe to just stay in this place. Um, and the family and guests, they undergo regular drills. Um, you know, in case of a raid or, or somebody comes in, there's an alarm that they would trigger. So then the rest of the house would be alerted to, to scatter, like find your place to hide. Um, we've got to make it look like only three people live here, Corey, Betsy, and her father. And they have all these other people that are with them at any given time. Um, so they had, they would conduct drills just to be prepared for these raids. Um, and so just, just all of that considered like, wow, what a risk that they were willing to take very difficult, very stressful and a risk that many Christians, um, honestly weren't willing to put themselves in. So just wrapping up, um, this first episode and, um, the first three kind of main points that I've pulled away, uh, from the book, the a surrender to God's will, that there's no ifs in God's will and being willing to have a risky faith. These are all some, some things that are, are remarkably, um, apparent, uh, with the main characters in this book. Um, especially Corey and Betsy and their father as well, the, the kind of the patriarch of this family as he leads his home to do all these things. And so kind of wrapping up and finishing this first part, uh, I, I have to bring it back into modern day 2024, uh, thinking about my, my life, my faith as a Christian in, a, in America, still probably one of the greatest countries um, in the world, at least we, we, we like to think so. And we like to think things like this won't happen here. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we just keep living our lives and, and doing it all for the glory of God. And it's not to say, I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know um, what this year will look like in subsequent years. We've seen a lot of change in the last few years, a lot of things that make me, more prone to think because of the way history goes, there's, there's more of this that, that could come. But I, um, I look at this and I say, would I question God's call or would I be willing to surrender to his will, even risking my own life, my livelihood, my status, whatever. Like I said, I don't, I used to not think about this so much. Um, maybe it's getting older and having kids and a family and, 
um, getting on in, in years and, and you just realize, you know, that there's so much that can happen even within such a short period of time, this, this period of time in, in World War II and, and kind of Germany's rise to prominence. Yeah, there was a, there was a number of years there, but then once World War II hit and things just really blew up literally and figuratively, like a lot of things just start happening, you know, these, these, rounding up of people, taking people and, and putting them in, in concentration labor camps and, and knowing that you don't say or do anything because it might threaten your own existence and you might end up there if you're, um, if you're doing anything that the government deems, um, not, not cool within, uh, what their, what their restraints are. So realizing that all that can happen, um, and kind of taking pause with that. And Christians, we have to have a resolved faith. We have to have this, again, getting back to as bold as lines, this bold faith. It doesn't turn, it doesn't run when some hard things happen, or even when waves of persecution come. Are we, are we prepared to stand our ground and uh, still proclaim Christ within those things? And as we go into the second part next time, this kind of a teaser for that, you know, I see where much of Corey's story mirrors a story that we just got done talking about a couple weeks ago, that being of Jonah, and see how Corey dealt with her time uh, under the Nazi regime, regime, her time imprisonment, reminds me a little bit of what it would have been like for Jonah to deal with the Ninevites, to deal with a people group that he hated or despised or just knew they were wicked and evil and how Corey learns to extend mercy and forgiveness to the, to the Nazis and those who, who betrayed her family. So more about that for next time. But for now, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're, you're even prompted to want to learn more, maybe do a little bit more research about this story. It is a beautiful story of redemption and the love of God triumphing over evil and tragedy, bringing something still beautiful out of all of that. So join me next time as we dive into the second half, part two of two, at a look at the hiding place. There'll be some more themes to discuss and kind of pull out of this book as we ponder it. But leaving you with Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 always seems to be applicable, especially in a story like this. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Guys, take care. We'll see you again soon. Hey guys, this is Derek Charles Johnson. You have been listening to the As Bold As Lines podcast. I am a blogger, a songwriter, an artist. And if you've been encouraged by this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe and share and head over to DerekCharlesJohnson.com for more encouraging content. God bless.